Check a diesel. Check a diesel. Welcome into Triple OT alongside Evan Riggs and Evan Riggs alone. I am Scott Chasen. Evan, you wanted to be here, so you were here. How's it going? Yeah, it's going uh, pretty good, Scott. We were, uh, you know, we were planning a really long Bulls podcast, but since Mike couldn't make it, I guess Bulls talk will have to wait, wait another week. Maybe put relocation back on the shelf until <laughs> Mike comes back too. <laughs> That's a great. I we were gonna get to relocation right off the top, but I think you're right. I think we gotta. I think we need to hold off on that just for him. You know, it's funny as I sit, you know, behind this makeshift wall of uh, what's it like Hall of Fame, but the opposite Hall of Shame, Hall of Sadness, whatever of jerseys of Suns players. Um, you can't see these, but Suns players who have revolted against the Suns, you could probably put two and two together, do the math, and figure out who they are if you're listening to this. It's Markeith Morris and Eric Bledsoe. Do you have a uh, Goran Dragic jersey? Oh, no, I never had. I never owned a Goran Dragic jersey. But, you know, it's funny. When, when I was planning out this podcast and thinking, like, of how we were going to do it and, and all the things that were going to go on, never once did I quite consider that today we would be doing an Earl Watson is fired podcast. But, uh the NBA moves kind of quick. Yeah, it's a, it's pretty wild that, you know, what, we've been five days into the season. And, well, I think in, uh, in Zach Lowe's bold predictions column, it was, you know, an NBA coach is going to be fired before Christmas. Uh, if you would have said before Halloween, he would have also been correct, which is, <laughs> which is pretty insane. Also before Devin Booker's birthday, which that's just for Mike. I hope he <laughs> listens so he can uh, – so we can just mention, I, I don't even know when his birthday is at this point. I just know it's soon. But, no, let's – Let's just talk about this right away. So I'm covering KU Missouri at Sprint Center, the resurgence of the border war, sitting up, reading, you know, tweet deck on my timeline. And all of a sudden I see Eric Bledsoe tweet, I don't want to be here anymore or something. I think that's what he yep. said. And then I was just like, I was like, huh, I wonder if that's being taken out of context. So uh, let, me, let me just break down the whole thing. Actually, I wrote out like the whole thing so then we can get into it. So. Let's, let's actually start before then. Two days ago, Eric Bledsoe quote tweeted a tweet from a reporter, Scott Bordeaux, saying he was listed as questionable. He put the word ha with an exclamation point. Uh, in, that, that was his, his quote tweet there. Now, Bledsoe was obviously upset last season that the Suns shut him down at the end of the year. When he was playing his best basketball, Suns were trying to tank. Mm-hmm. Um, today at, Eric, at 3.44 p.m., Eric Bledsoe tweets, I don't want to be here. Now, there's some question as to whether or not he's talking about Phoenix. Um, maybe he's talking about anything other than Phoenix, but then Gambo, radio reporter in Phoenix, he's like the Suns Woj. Uh, he tweets, "Quote: I said before season started, Bledsoe wants to be moved. Talked with him earlier today. Not surprised he's made it public." Then he tweeted, "Hearing that Suns owner Robert Sarver is going to meet with Earl Watson today, and then from Woj, Earl Watson fired." So. Just just that progression of how quickly things moved. What were your initial impressions when you saw the tweets and uh, and and what were you doing when you when you saw the tweets too? Well, like you, I was actually uh, you know sitting here in my apartment, not not the game, but I was actually watching the Kansas versus Missouri basketball game, and I see the tweet pop up from Woj. Well, I see the Bledsoe tweet like on Bleacher Report, and you know, kind of like you, I'm thinking, huh? I I kind of wonder if this is about the Suns, but. You know, absolutely no idea, no proof, no nothing. And then when I, you know, I didn't see all the stuff leading up to the Watson firing like you did. I don't follow local Suns guys. But then 
you know, you see Walsh tweet, you know, Watson's gone. I'm like, okay, like this, like this, this had to have been about the Suns. There's no way, there's no way these two things are a coincidence. Yeah. And I think a lot of people thought because of how it progressed, like time-wise that Bledsoe being unhappy maybe led to Earl Watson being fired. And in my mind, I think my understanding would be that it was the opposite way. One, as, as Scott Bordeaux, as Gambo have both talked about previously, Bledsoe liked Earl Watson. He bought into him, appreciated that Watson believed in him. Um, the, the second thing here is I don't believe a, an NBA franchise would panic like that. Eric Bledsoe sends out a tweet that he's unhappy. We know he's already unhappy, and now they're just going to fire the coach 10 yeah, minutes later. You know, Fr- Bledsoe's a nice player, but it's not like he's you know franchise guy. It's not like he's a, you know, a LeBron James, a Kevin Durant, a Steph Curry. Like, you know, Bledsoe's a nice player, but, you know, first of all, He's not even – he's a fringe all-star at best. You know, second of all, he doesn't fit the the timeline, <laughs> the, the the Phoenix timeline. So, I mean, he's not – he's not seen as a crucial piece for that team going forward. So, that, that kind of reaction, I just – you know, like you said, that doesn't make any sense. No, and, and too, Robert Sarver has done one, – one thing he has done, like, quite well is he's a pretty horrible owner or has been that, but has kind of gone out of his way to own up to his mistakes. He gave a press conference uh, – I think it was in the offseason when he extended the GM Ryan McDonough and they brought in James Jones and said, yeah, I've been impatient. I've been bad at this. I thought it was going to be a lot easier basically because I was gifted Hall of Fame players at the start of, you know, in the Suns' heyday. And he said, no, we need to be patient. We need to rebuild. So, again, that wouldn't be, you know, the type of rash decision-making that goes and then just fires a coach. This was a lot deeper than that, and and I can talk about the Suns, and, and we'll mention some of the things that were going on kind of behind closed doors that, that have kind of been made public. But, I mean, Evan, did you watch any of the Suns games the first three of the season? Or did you just see the results even of, of how bad they were? I mean, I've, I've seen all the results, obviously. I think uh, it, it speaks for speaks for itself when the highlight of their season so far was all five guys turning around and running simultaneously. <laughs> On, on the court in that vine that went viral. And, I mean, you know, I think they're one of the only teams – I don't remember what the exact stat was, but to get beat by 40-plus in two of your first three, to lose by 48 in your, you know, opener, home opener, to a, you know, Portland team without its second-best player. You have uh, the, the Josh Jackson, like, shooting the fake gun at the fan. I think that's what that was. Did, I'm assuming fake you Fake gun that. and then saying bleep you. Yeah, I mean – uh, it, it's just it, it's a mess, and it's not too surprising that he was, you know, the first coaching coaching domino of the fall this season. I mean, we knew something was going to happen this year because last year was the first year since 1971 that no NBA coach got fired. So you knew you knew that there was there was going to be some some guys time run out earlier in the season, but <laughs> to have it happen five days in the season was even something I don't think any of us expected. Yeah, well, the three games were horrible. Suns lost by 48 in the opener, worst loss in franchise history. It's the 50th anniversary of the franchise, so to celebrate, they're trying to lose every game by 50, apparently. I mean, they trailed by 58 in that game. They lose by two to the Lakers the next game, but they gave up 132 points yeah, in that so, game. So, some, of the, some of the videos from that game, some of the defensive possessions, mm-hmm. it's just brutal. Like, you have the one, you know, Tyson Chandler, who obviously – you know, is as savvy as you can get, you know, as a, as a center in this league on defense, he, he covers the wrong side on a pick and roll and just lets, I don't even remember who it was, let someone from the Lakers waltz straight to the basket. You had the play with uh, Montrezl Harrell last night. Was that last night? 
when he uh, – I don't know who the Suns guy was, but he flopped. And Harrell, like, missed the bunny, caught the ball, and no Suns player made a move towards him. He's like, okay, I'm just going to jam the hell out of this. Yeah. It's just been a a really strange and terrible three games for Phoenix. Well, yeah, and the Clippers lost 130-88. to uh, was a loss by 42 points. I think – I'm not 100% on this, but I think they've given up 130 points in every game. They've certainly given up at least 120 regulation points in every game. They're giving up 128 points per game. Okay, so so they've gone less than 131 times, but – I mean, seriously, this has been the worst defense that I've ever seen in my NBA watching lifetime. And this was a team that fouled at an abnormal rate previously because Earl Watson decided the refs are going to respect us if we foul. You know, his, his <laughs> thing was like, the refs are going to respect us if oh, we Mark, foul. Marquis Chris can't not foul out of like NBA Summer League games. So, of course, oh my God. foul in the NBA. Yeah, with like 10 fouls. Chris has just been abysmal defensively. Bender has done some good things, but for some reason he doesn't play him. He uses lineups of Len and Chandler together, which makes no sense. And like the starting lineup, that small ball lineup, is it's so clear that it should be situational and they should be using a guy like TJ Warren off the bench for that type of scoring punch. Right. You, you can't ask a rookie like, like Josh Jackson to play, you know, the four. I mean, he did it in college, obviously, at Kansas, but to play the four to be an undersized four in your first year. I mean, that, that's tough. Like, and, that's, and even, that's really tough. Even if you do, I mean, just like the matchups, and you would think that the first sub would always be get T.J. Warren out of the game, put in a tall guy to play next to him. And sometimes it is. But then the, the whole rotations, they take Bledsoe out early, and the team just gets decimated. How it's been working is they'll play him close for like four minutes. Bledsoe comes out. Now for Mike James, because Tyler Eulis isn't even good enough to see the floor. And they'll, they'll just get absolutely decimated. But behind the scenes, who, I want to – Who did they have start on Blake Griffin last night? Oh, Josh Austin. Jackson. Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, yeah. you, can't, you can't do that. No, you can't, you can't do it to a 20-year-old. Um, but – so some of the stuff behind the scenes. I wanted to start with, uh, with some tweets by Gambo. He said the situation with the Suns was, quote, real bad. Earl tried to create an us-versus-them attitude. Players didn't buy in. Earl preached family. Life is bigger than basketball and that it needed to be about trust. Players didn't want to be lectured. Gambo said most people in NBA circles thought Earl was in over his head. Quote, John Wooden speeches would only last so long. (laughs) Here's what I got to say about Earl Watson. Because, first of all, I think it's Ty's the second quickest firing in NBA history. I think Dolph Shays is the only one who was fired quicker. He got fired one game into a season. Because like, even even Mike Brown was like seven games, I want to yeah, say. I think two and five, right? Or three yeah. and four maybe. But Something like that. Earl Watson was put in a bad situation. We, you, we mentioned this. You mentioned this right before. But he was an interim <laughs> coach who did terribly, who they kept because the players liked him. Finished 9 he and ran, 24. He ran an offense that was ridiculously simplistic. Whenever there would be any semblance of motion, like in a Suns game, I would note it. I'd be like, whoa, that's weird. Is that a new play? Like, that is a bad sign. Horrible defense, horrible, horrible principles, but he was a total players coach. So they give him the opportunity, one he never should have had. Last season, you see some improvement from guys. Devin Booker looks good. Chris, the second half of the season, looks pretty sharp. I shouldn't say pretty sharp. He was like second team all rookie, but he he looks like passable. Mm -hmm. This team has regressed so much, and again, it's not to only blame Earl Watson because it's like one of the youngest teams in the NBA, but you have guys like Tyson Chandler not caring when the game is on the line. You have guys like Eric Bledsoe who likes the coach 
and, and he's still, you know, he's been poor defensively the last couple of years. There's no leadership. The Suns should have made a hire to bring in a veteran when they wanted to commit to the rebuild, to, to bring in someone who could help these guys grow, someone who knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, and you got to bring in a Brett, you know, Brett Brown type, like when you're like a six or yeah. but somebody like that. You just, just got to bring in someone. And instead they bring in a first-year head coach, an interim head coach becomes first-year head coach, who's a disaster. I, I'm seeing a lot of the reactions on Twitter and things to this. Earl Watson, his firing was a necessary move solely because you couldn't let him around these kids anymore. This is a guy who compares everyone to Hall of Famers. I mean, just like willy-nilly says that Josh Jackson reminds him of Russell Westbrook and Marquise Chris reminds him of Russell Westbrook and Devin Booker is Kobe plus Kevin Durant and someone was Kawhi Leonard. And it's just Earl Watson was like, he wasn't a head coach. He was like, if you just took like a random motivational speaker, taught him three things about basketball and said, okay, you're coach now, like, go ahead. You think, you think part of it was just how cheap he was too? At the end, I mean, I, know, I think it was like a two and a half million dollar salary, which, you know, as, as far as NBA coaches go, is not, not that high. Um, I, that might have been part of it, but I really think the biggest thing was the Suns, w- was the players basically saying, hey, this is our guy. Like, we really want to keep Earl Watson around and them saying, yeah, sure, we'll take a chance on it. And I just think that was horrible. Like, mm-hmm. you think about the best coaches in the NBA or the best teams in the NBA, Tyron Lue, a little bit of an exception. He's got this guy named LeBron I'm not sure if you've heard of. <laughs> Very, very few of them have a first-year head coach that's not like a Brad Stevens, like a, a universal Brad, you know, like, Brad Stevens, Billy Donovan. Yeah, like a universally thought of. This is the guy that's going to make. Very few guys, and even those guys had coached before mm-hmm. and had success coaching, just at a different level. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think the Suns' whole organization it wasn't toxic. It was just they weren't buying into it. And I think the reactions by the players today have been very telling. You haven't seen, at least I haven't, a whole lot of, oh, my God, I'm in shock. I'm in disbelief. I, I don't think Earl Watson had very much pull left. Yeah, I mean, and you, we, we talked about this Chris Mannix column before, before we started here. But, I mean, Mannix, you know, basically the whole point of his column was they should go after Steve Nash as, as the president. But just besides that, just real quick, I mean, like, like you said, the Suns' offense was very basic, very low motion, things like that. He has a quote in here from an anonymous Western Conference scout saying the Suns were the easiest team to prepare for. And, I mean, I don't know, is it possible that we've seen, you know, the, the effects of tanking from last year kind of bleed over into this year a little bit? They, they forget how to play a little, like forget how to try and win? <laughs> I don't know. Like, even with a coach as unqualified a, as him, like, it's just shocking to me that an NBA team could start off as bad through three games as they have. When a lot of people have asked me, like, how? That's it's kind of the funny. Like, people be like, how are the Suns this bad? I don't I don't get it. Is there something they're doing? Is there something? I don't know. Like, I watch I've watched every minute of every game and it's never sudden. Like the Suns are hanging with that other team for with the Clippers. It was for about a quarter and a half for the Blazers, certainly through the first quarter. And for the Lakers, it was really the whole game. But it's just like a little thing slips here and a little thing slips there. And because of how Earl Watson plays this team, there, there's no put in this guy, all right, we're going to fix things. A lot of the times it's like, okay, let's go bring in Mike James. Wait a second. He's not an NBA player. He's on a two-way deal. It's, it, 
I think a large part of it is rotations. I think even just bringing in a new coach who the players believe in, who would move a guy like TJ Warren to the bench, bring Dragon Bender into the starting lineup. He's done some good stuff defensively. Let Josh Jackson play the three. Jackson shooting well from three. Let him continue to be, you know, that type of guy, create a little bit more space on the floor because Warren's not a shooter and Bender obviously is a shooter. Mm -hmm. That type of stuff is very simple. And then, I mean, you have Troy Daniels on your second unit. He's going to be able to shoot. Marquise Chris loves to shoot threes. You've got plenty of spacing on that second unit. So you can put TJ Warren in there, let him slash, let him get you some buckets with Alex Len as your five, you know, whatever. The the five-man position is horrible on this team. Like, there there are ways to, to work around it where this shouldn't be happening. But, no, the offense is bad. The defense has been bad, and and that's that's what you get now. Now, obviously, Bledsoe is kind of the next part of this conversation because he wants out. Bledsoe's a good point guard. I'm about fringe top ten point guard in the NBA. When he wants to, he can play really good defense, super athletic, can get you rebounds, get you assists. Obviously, a very good score, very tough inside. What are some teams you would throw out as a, a potential fit for Eric Bledsoe? Well, I mean, the first one would have, would have to be the one I mentioned last week when we were previewing the season would be the, the Denver Nuggets. I think that's the the best fit combined with the easiest trade partner of any of these teams just because, I mean, they've got they've got more young guys, more talented guys, and they know what to do with. They've got, you know, they can offer decent draft picks. They're going to be a middle-of-the-road Western Conference team. Outside of them, I mean, you look at, like, Cleveland, you look at the Clippers. I know you had the – DeAndre Jordan tweet like "Come home, bro" or whatever it was like <laughs> right like a little while after all this happened, but I just don't know what what either Cleveland or Los Angeles could offer that's going to truly interest the Suns because I mean the Suns don't want anything that's going to help them right now. Like like why why would they do that? I mean you look I, at Cleveland. I don't even know what Cleveland could offer. <laughs> maybe you look at like you know, Los Angeles, maybe they could offer Beverly, but I don't even know when can Beverly be traded yet. I don't know what the, I know for free agents, it's December 15th, but I don't know if it's the same for guys that were traded. Yeah. I I think if I'm not mistaken, Beverly could be traded and I know they have a trade exception. The Clippers do for like seven and a half million, but I think the, the Clippers would have to get involved with a third team. Now, obviously I think the biggest reason the Clippers would make this trade is that we found out uh, today, Milos Teodosic, he's going to be out indefinite amount of time i i, I forget what the it was the like name of the, plantar fasciita yeah that's way better than i would have done pronouncing it anyway so um and, and we know we talked about this last week i obviously love the clippers i i think the clippers would maybe be a good fit you mentioned deandre jordan that tweet he wants to bring him back looking at that roster i mean the, the only real youth they have that i mean austin Rivers is a horrible player i i don't care i see like i have follows who cover the clippers who think he's like good or fine, and I'm I'm trust they know what they're doing. I know when I watch the Clippers, Austin Rivers is an absolute trash player, and yeah, when I mean, he has he, the ball he, in his hands, he's, he can play, a win. He can play decent defense when he locks in, but you know, offensively, I don't want that. I don't want him being the first, second, third, or fourth option offensively for my yeah. team. When he touches the ball, I'm just like, great. Like, okay, I don't have to worry about anything going on in the Clippers right now. So I, I don't. I doubt the Suns would want him. I mean, they have some youth like Decker, Harrell, Bryce Johnson, even like Jawan Evans. But again, Eric Bledsoe, the Suns made it pretty clear. Eric Bledsoe is a very good player. And you can't, even though like there are a lot of good point guards, you can't trade away Eric Bledsoe for nothing when he's got two years left, only making like $15 million a year. So he's not a salary cap killer. Yeah. And especially if you're trading him to a team like Cleveland, 
here's an interesting trade. It would be I hilarious to see him and Isaiah play together again, by the way. Uh, unless they trade Isaiah for him <laughs> as part of that. But w- what about LeBron likes Bledsoe. They have the same agent. He's mini LeBron. They work out together. They're buddies. What about seeing if you can get that Nets pick out of Cleveland and, and trying to get LeBron to commit to re-signing there? I mean, there's a situation where LeBron says, yeah, if you guys bring in Eric Bledsoe, I will re-sign in Cleveland. Do it. And the Suns say, give us that Nets pick, and we'll take Amon Shumpert and whatever salaries, and let's make it work. Gosh, that – I do not envy Cleveland's – Kobe Altman, is that his name? Cleveland's new GM? Yep. yep. I do not envy him in the position that would put him in because I, I have absolutely no idea what I would do in that scenario. How, how can you – unless LeBron James has signed his name on the dotted line, you can't trust that he's going to come back even if he – I mean, he – He's just gonna say that to to get what he wants, and I, I I'd feel so squeamish about offering that Nets pick for Eric Bledsoe. Well, it's just funny because the Suns totally screwed up, you know, giving away the Lakers pick for Brandon Knight, which you know at the time looked a lot better. I mean, Knight was a fringe All Star at the time, so right. it looked like a great deal, but you know, ev- evidently goes horrible. I mean, they still have the Miami picks, so whatever pick they do get, even if it's not top three, they're gonna be able to move up and basically get the number one pick if they want to do that. I'm not. Yeah saying they're going to want to. But, man, I mean, if you think about the Suns' rebuild, let's say they go through with their – I've already forgotten the guy's name. They go through with their their um, interim head coach this season. Let's say they get that Nets pick, and they end up with maybe the first and third pick in the NBA draft. I, I think you could lure a pretty great coach in that scenario, basically saying, Devin Booker is about to turn – you just turned 21. You've got Josh Jackson. Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris have gotten to play a ton of minutes their first two years. In that scenario, you're probably going to have, you know, Begley and maybe even Michael Porter. Like, yeah, I was going to say, how the top three goes. And we're going to get two elite talents. You, if you're a coach, you're probably thinking, yeah, that if I'm if I'm needing in in need of a job, you could probably lure a pretty good name. Yeah, I don't know, I just can't. Again, I can't imagine Cleveland giving up that Nets pick. I. If you're going to give up that Nets pick, I feel like it's got to be for, for more of a pro. Not that Bledsoe's not a good player, but, I mean, it'd have to be a really, really, really good player for me to give up that Brooklyn pick. Well, I, my only thing is, and again, because I don't think that would be fair value to Cleveland, obviously, but I do think if LeBron said, I don't want the Nets pick, I want that, and, and again, they could find ways to get, like, salary relief. I, I don't know what all the exceptions work out to, but – yeah, I think Amon Shumpert's making $10 million, or if they wanted him to take – even if they wanted to take – flip Isaiah Thomas. If they wanted to give him Isaiah Thomas and say, we don't believe he's ever going to be you know, good anymore or whatever, I just think that's an interesting dynamic specifically because of the LeBron relationship. They, I mean, they might just buy out Isaiah in that scenario. That's true as well, I guess. Um, other teams that need a point guard right now, there aren't too many. You talked about Denver. Denver certainly has pieces that they could offer for it. I'm more skeptical about that Denver pick, though. I think if Denver got Eric Bledsoe, I think that's for sure a playoff team. Yeah, no, absolutely it's a playoff team. But I mean, that's a, if you offer you know, Emmanuel Moutier a pick in the 20s and another player, like another young guy, I mean, I think that's, that's a decent decent package for Phoenix. Yeah, like a like maybe, a, maybe maybe you get like Hernan Gomez or something. Well, I was gonna say Phoenix would probably want the guys that they wouldn't be willing to give up: Jamal Murray, Gary Harrison. Right. We kind of saw this with the Celtics. You you might accept a package from one team, but when that team has better assets, they're not giving you. It's it's right. a lot harder to accept that. If all you have is five dollars and you offer me five dollars, 
yeah, I might. I, yeah, okay, five dollars is great. If you've got two hundred bucks in your pocket and you're offering me five bucks, I don't want that five dollars. I want twenty bucks. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to find too many point guard needy teams because a, a lot of the teams that that don't have good point guards aren't in positions to win. So they're not going to trade trade young guys for a guy like Blood. So like you look at like you know the Magic. Like that'd be such an upgrade for the Magic. Or like even you know maybe the Pistons. Maybe Van Gundy gets desperate and gives up stuff for. Eric Bledsoe. I mean, I don't know what he they could give up that Andre Drummond want, but it yeah, would be Andre Drummond would be about it. And I mean, if if you trade for a point guard, you've got to ship Reggie Jackson out of town because he he's not coming off the bench. That yeah, was, but I, dude, that was right in starting point guard on sneakers when he was Russell Westbrook's backup. Yeah, no, I just mean in terms of like what the what the Suns would want from them would be probably Andre Drummond in order to make that trade. I, I mean, just looking at. Like Sacramento is another example of this. Sacramento could use an Eric Bledsoe. There's no chance in hell Sacramento is trading for an Eric Bledsoe. Well, you never know. <laughs> you never know with the Kings. That's a good point. I'm, I'm just – maybe the Knicks. The Knicks are still – although I, I don't know how they feel about Frank, their point guard. I don't know how to say his last name. but Nidakina, Nidakina, one of those two. Yeah. He's on my fantasy team, so I should probably learn. <laughs> maybe maybe in Indiana, but Indiana doesn't really have the pieces that, again, Phoenix would want. I mean, they're not going to give up Miles Turner, probably not going to give up Oladipo, who's balling out of his mind right now. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think multiple people of us called. Uh, a team like Chicago, again, could use it, but we've talked about Chicago does, probably doesn't, other than picks, have any. I bet, I bet Mike would be fine with trading uh, Markinen for Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he would have a meltdown. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just it, it's just kind of tricky. Um, being a point guard in the NBA, it's very hard to get traded. Point guard and center, I feel like, are the two hardest because everyone wants wings. I mean, you look at what the Rockets did this offseason, just bring in wing after wing after wing, and that's that's what you do to win in this league, to win at finals, to win in the playoffs. Yeah. You have to have good wings. So, yeah, I, I think we can close the book maybe on the Suns conversation for now. Or do you have anything to add before we move on? Because I think this is the longest we've ever talked about the Suns, <laughs> but it's also the first time they've been like super relevant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything else to add. I just other than the fact that I'm I'm super interested to see where this goes. I mean, it's kind of one of those deals that you don't see like a clear path out right now. Like Denver looks obvious, but then again, I mean, you just never know. All it takes is you know. Things change so quickly in the NBA, like we said at the beginning here. I mean, you look at the, you know, just that you mentioned center is so hard to trade. You know, nobody thought Oklahoma City was ever going to be able to trade in this cancer, ever. And it took a very, very, you know, unique situation. But you just never know when, when something's going to pop up, something wild. That's just the NBA. Well, yeah, and, and I'm very excited to, for the Suns to go through a coaching search, watch them end up. You know what would be, you know be really freaking hilarious? David Blatt. <laughs> hey, that actually that, that would not that would be the worst idea in the world. Yeah, I it, it would just be funny though. But that being said, I, I do have to say, when the Suns were trying to lure Blake, when Griffin, David Black gets hired, you have to credit Triple OT. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, we just <laughs> broke that story. When when the Suns were pursuing Blake Griffin and how weird that whole thing was, it's just kind of funny because like if Blake Griffin were on this team, he would. I don't know, like, what if Earl Watson would have been fired or what the deal would have been, but like, I can't imagine Blake Griffin signing with this team and then like hearing from Earl Watson on day one and being like, "Oh my God, what did I do?" 
I do know that if things continue like this for the Suns, like losing like this and in this manner, uh, Josh Jackson might have a uh, a mental breakdown. He's gonna kill. Someone. <laughs> I don't think he's he gonna straight take, up kill someone. You can't take eighty-two games of this going like fifteen and whatever. You can't take that. Fifteen. <laughs> Gary Gary Bedore writes for the Kansas City Star. He asked me today. He pulls me. He goes. Are the Suns gonna win ten games? I was like, <laughs> I, was like I, I think they will because like the Bobcats were the last team to do less than that. But and they were the Bobcats. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they won eight games. But like, yep. I don't know like, who are the ten wins. They've already lost to the Lakers, so that's <laughs> you know one winnable game down. They play I the think, Kings tomorrow, don't they? Oh, do they? I don't. I just I wake up, check my TV guide with the league pass, and if it's on, I, I DVR it. It's a it's great and a free trial. So if you're listening to this, you probably have a few more days before you can, uh, where you can watch any game for free, um, which is a pretty good deal. If you had to predict where Bledsoe ends up, I'm gonna say the the Clippers in a three team deal, just because it seems so perfect. Um, if you had to give it a guess, where will he play his last game this season? Who? Uh, just real quick, I know it's like impossible to predict this kind of thing, but who's a third team that could maybe maybe get involved there? Yeah, I have no idea. That's <laughs> it, it. Maybe a team like maybe a team like the Cavs. Uh, maybe a team. It would have to be a contender that's not that has a deficiency somewhere. Maybe a team like Memphis, even that's set at point guard and center, has a bunch of good wings all around. Um, that that maybe the Clippers could in turn flip a piece to. The Clippers have a good roster. They have a lot of they have a lot of wings, a lot of available people, and if they really believe in Gallinari, they can probably shorten the bench a little bit at least, right? Yeah, yeah. I think if I have a guess, I would still probably say Denver, just just because you know you look at how aggressive Denver has been, like with the big with the big time guys, like they they offered Dwayne Wade more more money than Chicago did, and you know that that's saying something because he got like twenty four million dollars a year from Chicago or something like that, and they were pretty aggressive and go well. Obviously, they get Millsap. They were trying like crazy to get Blake Griffin. I think they're probably going to come in with a pretty good offer. It's not going to be you know the offer the Suns want, but I think they're probably going to poke around and they're not going to not going to like what they find, and they're probably going to come back to Denver, and that's probably going to be the best they're going to be able to get. Yeah, well, it's just so hard to trade point guards now because I mean every team you you go across the across the NBA, every team has either a great point guard or a great ball handler. Like a team like Milwaukee, which doesn't have a great point guard, yeah, has Giannis. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and like even even the teams that don't like, they pretty much all have young point guards. Like you look at Dallas, you got Dennis Smith Jr. You know Sacramento, well you've got George Hill who's fine, and you've got you know De'Aaron Fox. And even Frank the Knicks, like we don't know about you know Frank Nitakina, Nitakina, however you say his name. We're gonna you just give that like him. a Spanish rolling your arm. <laughs> I, I know it's not from Spain. <laughs> I don't know what I did, but uh, I mean, yeah, even you know Brooklyn, D'Angelo Russell. Like if you're you've either got a ball handler, a very good point guard, or a young point guard that you want to wait and see on, or you're the Orlando Magic. One, one <laughs> yeah. of those. That, yeah, and drafting Jonathan Isaac and and all that, all that fun and well. So, all right, well let's let's get into some other topics here. One that's kind of interesting is the Golden State Warriors. Um, obviously, it's they're hitting the panic button. I, I read a lot of like joking quotes today from like Steph uh, Steve Kerr, who said they should suspend Steph Curry for eight to ten games and Draymond Green. <laughs> That they're never going to win a championship playing like this. Obviously, all joking. Um, the Warriors are one and two. They lost to the Rockets opening night. They beat the Pelicans, trailed for much of that game though. Then they lose to Memphis by ten. Curry and Durant both get ejected uh, in that game. What's going on in Golden State? Well, not playing any defense. 
I mean, like offensively, they've been fine. Like they're scoring 116 points a game. They're shooting like 43% from three, but they're, you know, they're allowing 11 points less than the Suns this year. If that tells you anything, I mean, they're, they're right up there. They're 27th in the league, giving up 118 points a game, 110.5 defensive rating through three games. I mean, teams are shooting like 40% from three, you know, and, and Kevin Durant, he's, he's blocking almost five shots a game, which is great. But that also tells me, like, they're just letting guys drive to the rim at will. Like, Kevin Durant should not be blocking 4.6 shots per game, whatever he's at right now. So, I mean, good on him, but bad on their team defense. So, I mean, I think it's just probably a little bit of a, a, a slog for them at this point. You know, not, kind, not a whole lot to be motivated about right now, I guess. They haven't really played. I mean, they have the ring ceremony game against the Rockets. Those are always kind of weird games. And then they have, you know, a tough back-to-back. I mean, Memphis and New Orleans, both, you know, fringe playoff teams. And, you know, back-to-back is always tough, obviously. But uh, no big issues, uh, obviously, just small things here and there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we know the Warriors are going to be, you know, a great team. And, and, again, the number one seed. I did find the whole, like, Steph Curry tantrum because that's kind of what it was. Um, I found the whole thing amusing. I mean. The, the throwing the mouth guard thing is like, I get it. Like that's his thing. It's now it, it like, it's his way of showing, you know, a response and, Oh, I'm acting in the moment or whatever. I can't but wait like, to see the commercial that has him throwing a mouth guard. I was going to say, can you like, is there ever been like a more on the nose, like on brand, just kind of like generally like loserous thing, loserish thing for a point guard. I mean, Steph Curry is got to do something to be cool, right? Like he doesn't have the shoes. He chews on his mouth guard and it hangs out of his mouth weird. Can he just do something cool? No, I don't think he can. Um, well, I say that. When he makes 35 footers, that's pretty cool, but that's, uh, that's about it. I, I saw he said he didn't throw his mouth guard at the ref. Kevin Durant, by the way, ultimate spin zone, said he wasn't flipping off a fan, but it was actually his ring finger. He was pointing that he won a ring. Yeah, he was pointing that he won. What did he do to get ejected? I never actually saw the only thing I ever saw was that that you know Steph Curry got ejected and then oh Kevin Durant got ejected too like moments after it's like well what did he do somebody tell me what 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 happened here well it's it's like the perfect uh, microcosm of the Warriors right he saw the best player in the court going to the locker room he's like oh hell I need to go to the locker room too <laughs> yeah he's a follower follower not a leader Kevin Durant. Very true. Can't even get the first technical. Um, let, let's talk real quick about that that Golden State Houston game, just because I did watch it. Did you watch that game? Uh, I, I watched some of it, but I mean, I watched the fourth quarter, which was like you know, like you know, I watched from like maybe the five minute mark on in the third quarter. Well, that parts here and there, and that's pretty much when when everything happened. I mean, you see Draymond Green get hurt, Golden State blow the big lead. It, it was it was just a strange game, honestly. I mean, Chris Paul. You know, at first I just thought he was benched, but actually he was apparently, you know, playing through an injury, which I don't know why you would do that to your 32-year-old point guard on opening night. Now that's another topic for another day, I guess. Yeah, well, they clearly don't have the talent to win with that. No, I'm, of course, kidding. Um, <laughs> no, it was because it was, a lot of people, like you mentioned, after the game had the reaction that Chris Paul's not going to like this. Admittedly, a reaction I had too. I yeah, me like, too. It, but it comes out he's injured. I, I think this is a game you see – when the Warriors don't have Draymond Green, they're obviously super beatable. Um, Clippers a little bit different without Chris Paul. They can still win. We haven't seen healthy Chris Paul this year, so I'm withholding judgment – or uh, Rockets Chris Paul this year. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm withholding judgment on, on everything with them. But I thought that was a really promising sign in a game where Nick Young basically has the best game of his career, scores 23 points. He scored three 
points since that game. Yeah, I think he had 20 in the first half, too, if I'm not mistaken. Six of seven from three, eight of nine from the field. The Warriors shoot 54% from the field, 53% from three, 91% from the line, and lose. Well, yeah, and then you have Houston. I mean, you know, 15 of 41 is is fine from three-point range, but that's not like, you know, you know, usually you would think, you know, Houston probably has to get ungodly hot and the Warriors have to not shoot well for, for them to win at Golden State. But it was the opposite. Like, Houston was like, you know, okay. Like, you know, they're average from three-point range. And Golden State was over 50%, and they still somehow lose the game. Yeah, it was crazy. And, and I think a lot of it came down to effort, things like offensive rebounding, mm-hmm. giving, you know, because the Rockets took a, a bunch more shots, offensive rebounding, turnovers. They won the turnover battle by, I want to say, five but, but it was the wings, man. In, in the fourth quarter, it was P.J. Tucker, Luke Richard, and Bamute. Those two guys combined to go six of nine from three. Obviously, Eric Gordon was really good, too. When they were, was, they were able to switch every, you know, a loss, and the wings were playing great defense. This was kind of what I think Mike and I saw when we were, we were a little bit high on, on the Rockets. Obviously, he, he actually picked them to win his finals, I believe. Um, th- this is kind of what we saw from like, what we were kind of envisioning. This may, was a really promising game to me. Basically, I know Draymond Green missed the fourth quarter, and I think Draymond Green's still banged up because he hasn't played all that well this season. Yeah, um, and I think they probably win that game if he doesn't get hurt. But Probably you know, true. Again, we, we don't know. I mean, we don't know. But also, I mean, if Chris Paul is healthy and, and is figuring it out, because the Warriors had a lot more continuity than the Rockets. who are Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so – I, this was a very promising game if you're a Rockets fan to me, especially once Chris Paul is healthy and figures it out. I'm just curious. I know we're three games into the season, so we're making a big jump off not that much information, but signs suggest to you that maybe the West could be a little bit closer this year. I mean, two losses for the Warriors is kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's really hard to say. Again, it's super encouraging that the Rockets were able to do this, you know, without Chris Paul basically contributing much of it. I mean, he he passed the ball well, but was a zero offensively. Didn't look like himself. You have Eric Gordon drop 24 points. I think I don't think he made a three the entire night. So you just got things like that that you know are going to get better. And I mean, m- maybe Houston is able to be a formidable threat to the Warriors. But, you know, again, I, I think the biggest difference for me, you know, we mentioned the wings, we mentioned Gordon. The biggest difference for me, and I think Nate Duncan mentioned it on the Dunked On podcast, was Harden looked great. And by that, I mean, like, he looks like he's lighter. Like, he looks like he's maybe lost a couple pounds. I mean, he was like, he was getting by the Warriors guys whenever he wanted to. And when in the past, that hasn't always been the case with them. Like, the Warriors have guarded him pretty well, but they, he just got whatever he wanted to the other night. And if he's able to do that, then I mean, yeah, if he can free up their shooters like that, then I mean, they're going to be a tough team. Well, and he certainly didn't play so poorly that NBA Twitter decided to question whether or not he was on drugs. So that's always a <laughs> yeah, or concussed. Yeah, that was always that was a fun that was a fun storyline last year. Great Grizzlies also too. The Grizzlies are a running team now, and it's kind of fun. Have you have you gotten to see the Grizzlies this year? No, I haven't gotten to see them, but just going back and looking through their stats, like Dylan Brooks has been impressive so far this year. He's like at fourteen points a game. He, he hasn't even shot well from three yet. So you guys assume maybe that can get better. Basically, what he's giving them right now is what a healthy Chandler Parsons would probably be get like you know if he hadn't had a bazillion knee surgeries. Chandler Parsons getting booed, by the way, and and what did he say? <laughs> he tweeted something or other. Yeah, I don't know, man, Parsons is so like I remember I went and watched him last year. I went and watched the Rockets game against the Grizzlies last year, and Parsons couldn't even jump over a phone book that night. He was he looks awful. 
he said, quote, if the fans are going to boo, or, or what the tweet said, basically if the, if the fans are going to boo, he's going to treat every game like it's a road game. So <laughs> things, things are obviously not going well in Memphis, but they're running up and down the court. Conley didn't even play that well against the Warriors, but all their wings kind of chipped in. Gasol's I mean, Mark had like 35 and 15, didn't he? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. So I, I think this is another team that, again, three games, sample size, all that. But the Grizzlies being this running team, you know, I don't, I don't think we expected them to run as much, I guess, as they have in the early stage. And if they can be an up and down, I don't know what their tempo stats are right now, but if they can be kind of like an up and down team, that'll give a chance like a Wayne Selden or Ben McLemore to pick the two Kansas guys. They can get out and transition and run. They, they're athletic enough to do that. that. That kind of fits that roster. Yeah, what's what's the deal with Wayne Selden? I I don't think he's even played yet this year. Is he is he injured? Is he just getting a DNP coach's decisions right now? I'm not sure what it is with him. Obviously, the experience he got at the end of last year was something you would expect. Would would yeah? I mean, you, we I think we all figured that he was probably going to be in the rotation. I mean, and they he is he he is injured. I think doesn't he have a quad injury? I don't know. I, he I, got, I think he does have a quad injury. I'll, I'll search for it, and I guess if I'm wrong, I'll go back and change it. But I I, th- I think I remember that he injured his quad. Yes, I mean, like getting him back whenever he comes back, if he is injured, you know, Macklemore obviously has the broken foot. He'll be back at some point this year. And those are two guys that, you know, again, get out in transition. They can shoot the ball, get athletes around the rim. Memphis, again, you know, the reason why I picked them to miss the playoffs wasn't because I didn't like, you know, their main core guys. It's that I didn't really believe in the guys past that. You know, the, the Wayne Selden, Ben Macklemore, you know, Dylan Brooks, Chandler Parsons group. So, if, I mean, if those guys can step up and play well, I mean, you know, like a solid and calmly led team always has a chance. Do, if you had to pick now, Warriors or the field to reach the NBA championship out of the West? Thoughts? Uh, I'm still going with the Warriors. Warriors or the field to win the NBA championship? I'm still going with the Warriors because that's basically, to me, just Warriors or Cavs because, as we'll talk about later, I mean, Boston has no chance to come out of the East. Therefore, it's almost a foregone conclusion again that the Cavs are coming out of the East. Well, let's go right to Boston. Opening night was one of the most disheartening uh, things you'll see. Gordon Hayward goes down with a pretty horrific ankle injury. Were you watching it? How how did you – did you see it live? No, I didn't see it live, thank God. I was actually – I was actually at a high school volleyball game and I, you know, I was on Twitter cause I was live tweeting the match and I see like everybody's freaking out about Gordon Hayward. So I'm like, what in the world happened to Gordon Hayward? You know, unfortunately for me, I hadn't actually seen like anybody saying like, you know, the warning, like do not go watch this video. So I just go pull up this video and I was absolutely mortified when I saw it. And then when, I watched it with the volume, made it much worse because if you've watched with the volume, you can obviously, not to go into too gruesome details, but you can hear exactly what happens when you watch it with the audio and you see the Cavs bench and the whole thing. It was just terrible. Just awful. Was it Kevin Harlan actually on the call? I think it was Kevin Harlan. He knew like within two seconds. I mean, he broke his leg. Oh my God, Gordon Hayward has broken his leg. Like when the play by, when the play by play guy, that's sitting at half court knows that quickly. It, it's bad. <laughs> and it, it wasn't even the fall. It's when he's sitting on the ground and his yeah. foot is at a different angle than his leg. It's just, it's horrific. And to see how much pain he was in when they try and fix it. No, I was covering a soccer game that night, soccer match. 
And afterward, I was going to go see a movie, but I kind of blocked it out perfectly so that I could watch the opener before I would go to this movie. I wanted to see this. And so I wasn't watching intently yet, but I just see on, or I think maybe you texted uh, uh, the yeah, I, I texted you guys, like, what happened to Gordon Hayward? Because I hadn't seen it yet. And so then I asked, and then I go on Twitter, and I see it, and I was just like, wow, I really wish I didn't didn't see that. <laughs> Obviously, that's a, that's a huge loss for them. You know, it, it, I wrote this in our, in our kind of rundown. It takes a lot of the fun out of the regular season for me. The East was already pretty futile. The Celtics were starting Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, a.k.a. they're never going to get any rebounds against the Cavs with Horford, that lineup. Uh, Benton Smith, who writes for the Lawrence Journal World, kind of said that he thinks Marcus Smart could lead them in rebounding, which I don't think is like a crazy (laughs) assertion, especially like just broad numbers if he plays all 82 games. Um, What's the Celtics ceiling now? Because I don't see any way in the world they're going to be the two seed. I mean, ceiling is probably three seed. But again, I mean, if, if Giannis keeps playing like he's playing, then it it seems like the four C is probably the most realistic outcome for them. But even them, I mean, you've got the Raptors are still going to be a factor in in the regular season because everybody knows that their offense works in the regular season <laughs> and then goes to hell in the playoffs. But gosh, I don't know. It, it's just so disappointing. It's disappointing for anybody to lose. You know, you you lose your best player, and I, I do think Gordon Hayward was their best player. You lose your best player. Boston fans, by the way, or at least people who live in Boston would agree with you. You lose your best player five minutes into the season. And then you, you count on the fact that they're already kind of a thin team because they finally made some moves to, to acquire some star guys in Hayward and Kyrie. And it just it completely wrecks everything they were trying to do this year just as far as how they were going to play. Now they're going to have to play a lot of Marcus Smart, a lot of Terry Rozier off the ball. We're, we're about to see how untradeable Terry Rozier really is, <laughs> I guess. Uh, there you go. Um, I, I agree with you. I think the Celtics are probably getting that four seed now just because the East is so bad after that point. But, man, this, this really opened things up for the Wizards. It, it, it does make me wonder, though. Kyrie's only got one year left on his deal. Al Horford's going to be getting up there in age in a few years. The Celtics' title window – I know a lot of the young guys will be progressing and they'll be better. Without that Nets pick, though, the Celtics title window just kind of like it, it kind of closed a little bit. It, like, right? Well, all of a sudden, like, quietly, you know, anybody that plays really pays really close attention to the league, quietly, everyone's eyes kind of shifted to next year and was like, you know, holy crap, like, next year is a huge year for Boston because, like you said, like, they could lose Kyrie, like, Al Horford's getting up there in age, like, we don't know what these young guys are going to be like if things don't go you know because obviously this year is you know gone as far as you know eastern conference finals anything past that but next year like you know if they don't at least challenge cleveland if lebron is still there or you know whoever lebron is playing with if it's in the east or make it out of the east like i mean who knows what's going to happen to them after that i i think it's Next year is a huge year, as you mentioned for them, especially if their pick, because they get the Lakers pick if it falls within a certain range. It's like, like within, it's like in between two and five, I think. But and like if that doesn't materialize, all of a sudden 
I mean, they go into next year with basically no added firepower. I don't know what their cap is like, but I can't imagine they would have much space. Well, they're, they're going to have to pay Marcus Smart. He, they didn't extend him, so he's going to be – he gets all season to play in, a, in an expanded role and show off uh, his value to up his market value. And they can't get rid of him because the rebounding, the defense, these are things that they need now, now more than ever. But yeah, And you never know how a guy like Hayward's going to come back. I mean, seriously, this this the Celtics. They're still not. No one is feeling bad for them. They still have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving. They still have the Lakers pick that will become the Kings pick if the if it doesn't materialize the next year. Man, they they they're in a rough situation now for giving up that Nets pick to get Kyrie Irving, and it's just kind of funny because if they would have just pulled the trigger on the trades that they could have offered previously to get a guy like Paul George and even still had Gordon Hayward still got him in free agency, but wouldn't have parted with the Nets pick. It's a totally different team. And and I mentioned it at the time we've talked about this. I was not in favor of the trade they made. I thought they gave up too much to get Gordon uh, to get, excuse me, Kyrie Irving in the first place. Now we're going to get to see what Kyrie Irving does as the numero uno on his team. And yeah, he's going he's gonna to get what he asked for, that's for he, sure. He's got one of the best coaches in the league. He's got good pieces around him. Al Horford's still very good. They've got young talent. Man, I don't, I don't think – I think a huge point of the Celtics team was that they needed to be good enough this year to force LeBron to leave because he would have thought, like, man, the Celtics might beat me next year. I think this probably ends the Celtics' chance of winning a championship with their current core. Yeah, and gosh, I don't know. You, you just got a feel for Boston. But I, I will disagree with one thing you said. You, sure. you mentioned the, the Paul George thing. You, know, you look back, you know, obviously you can't ever predict something as horrific as this happening to a player. But you know, if, they, if they trade for Paul George, like he is, he is gone after this year. Like, you know, you – Hayward gets hurt like he does. He trade for Paul George. He is out of there as soon as the season's over because things probably go terribly. <laughs> probably go terribly because you've already got Isaiah who's going to be out until like February. So Paul George would be playing in you know Indiana, but just in a, a different arena basically at that point. I still think their roster would be a little bit more equipped, but I remember saying at the time, and I'll stand by this. I said if they acquired any two of Blake Griffin. Uh, who are the four? Paul George, Gordon Hayward, and Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is the one that's just inexcusable that they didn't get because yeah. the the Bulls didn't the Bulls didn't get that great of a package that you know I know I've said that over and over to antagonize Mike, but <laughs> they they didn't get anything that great back. I mean, Boston could have topped that without giving up the Brooklyn pick. Yeah, well, I, and he has two a, years left on his deal. And it wasn't at some point. Well, no, I guess it was so shady what all the offers were because Ainge would leak to reporters one thing he was doing and then other more reputable reporters would come back and say, actually, no, Brooklyn offered all its crappy picks, not any of its good picks. I I do think, though, if you're going to cash in on the picks, you cash in on them and you build a super team and the halfway measure of we're going to get Paul George, then we're going to trade Jay Crowder, who's on a great contract, Isaiah Thomas, who was injured, and the Nets pick to go get a guy like Kyrie Irving. I, I didn't, like I said, I said at the time, and I'll, I'll be consistent with this, it was a halfway measure. It was going all in while playing for the future. It wasn't one way or the other. And now they don't have Avery Bradley. They don't well, have now, Jay Crowder. Now, now Al Horford makes like no sense just you know age-wise yeah. with this team at all. Well, and they don't have defensive people like the Avery Bradleys, like the, like the Jay Crowders of the world that made them such a tough matchup for the Warriors. I mean – 
I'm I'm interested in seeing this team playing the Warriors because I think they're going to get absolutely ripped to shreds before yeah. they were a good matchup because defensively they had the wings that could that could match them. And well, they, now, Avery Bradley was one of the guys that gave Steph a lot of problems. Now I don't I don't know how they I don't think there's a top two team in either conference, but certainly without Gordon Hayward, that they will. I don't think there's a top five team in the West they put a scare into. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it it's a rough situation for Boston, I guess. You know, hope, hopefully Hayward, you know, comes comes back fine. And all, all indications are it, w- it was a clean break, which mm-hmm. is you know, which is the best case scenario for something that bad. So it, it seems like he should probably come back. You know, it's going to take him a while, but he should come back fine. So I guess I guess we'll see what they have next year. But you know, again, all all of a sudden the team that was like you know, guaranteed this eight year like title window because of all their guys at different ages. Now it's just a, a little bit uncertain. Yep. All right, let's get to one last thing today before we close it out. A little throwback, Triple OT, to like season one when it was just you and me, although we don't have G.J. Melia in the other room. <laughs> Shouts to our producer of season one. It was a good idea. Just could never make it work. Um, Minnesota-Oklahoma City, game that's just wrapped up. It, it was probably, as you called it, one. Of, it's going to be a game of the year candidate. Um, I think it's a good idea to talk about this game for a couple of reasons, specifically about the closing minutes and, and you know, because the, these are two teams trying to find themselves and mm-hmm. who's going to take the last shot. Just run us down the, the, the final sequence of that game. What, did, what was your view of it watching it? Well, it was just one of those games that you, you never thought the Thunder were going to win because they started the same way they played in Utah the night before and get down by 11 fighting an uphill battle all night. They finally, you know, Westbrook kind of finally was the aggressor at the end of the game, which he hadn't been yet through, you know, two and three quarters games. He was looking to, you know, he was driving to pass, which is like the most un-Westbrook thing ever. He was giving the ball up with like 20 seconds in the shot clock and then just going and standing. So it was good to see him be aggressive late in the game. You know, he, he actually, I think they were down like 10 points with like six minutes left in the game. He gets a couple threes, scored like 10 straight at one point. Gets them back in the game. You know, Paul George missed a couple of shots that could have maybe made a difference late in the game. But, I mean, they get, you know, they tie it up on a Westbrook three. I think Cat had like a ridiculous floater. Yep. Like like Stephen Adams had to, you know, just shows how ridiculous Towns is. Adams had to like close out full speed to him in the corner. And and Cat blew by and was able to stop on a dime. You know, avoid it. Probably would have been a charge. It would have been a charge because Robertson was pretty well set and, and get the floor of the drop. And, and then you know, you and I talked about this before, but you, you think that there's no way this ball is going to anybody but Westbrook on the last possession. I think there's like ten seconds left. Mm-hmm. Down by two. Westbrook had just scored like their last ten points, and Paul George inbounds, inbounds to Westbrook, and then kind of runs like a banana cut around them. So it kind of confuses the defense. He drives. Taj Gibson helps off Mello. Mello drains a three. Timberwolves have no timeouts. I don't know if you actually saw this, but Thibodeau was actually trying to call a timeout. Oh, on, I didn't see that. On the sideline. No. He was, like, pulling a David Blatt. I don't know. I don't think there was, like, a dramatic, like, Ty Lue, like, tackle. <laughs> on yeah, the diving in. No. But but he was trying to call a timeout, and I, I didn't actually notice at the time, but I saw, you know, saw it immediately after the game. And uh, and Wiggins, they eventually inbound the Wiggins, who 
is freed up by a pretty nice screen there. Yeah, we'll say it's probably an illegal screen, like you know, any time but in the last minute of a ball game. But you know, again, whatever they let that stuff go all the time. Gets freed up by a screen, pulls up from like thirty-five feet just inside the logo, and with the night he had had, like you know, he I think he finished with twenty-six, had seven rebounds, four assists, tore up the thunder all night, had a couple of his signature spin moves in the lane. He just knew it was going in. Didn't think he was going to bank it in, however, but it, he just knew it was going in. No, it was awesome. You met, I'm, I'm sitting watching this game, so we just got done covering King, Missouri. I'm following the score. Once it gets down, I turned it on for the right before the town's uh, original go-ahead mm-hmm. shot. Um, so I didn't obviously get to watch much of the game. I'm, I'm going to go back and watch highlights and stuff, obviously, of all the stuff, because I, I got home pretty late tonight, as you know, as we're doing this podcast after. It's now after midnight. Um but no, I see that. T- I was thinking as the as the Timberwolves going, I'm thinking who's going to get this shot. Wiggins now is averaging, I think, 24 and five this year. Mm-hmm. He's a great candidate to get it. Jimmy Butler's numbers have been down, but he's obviously a great player. And then there's Carl Anthony Towns. So when Towns, yeah, they, the- they, they had been going to Wiggins like they went to him like three or four straight possessions, and for the most part, he had been cashing in. He he did settle for a fadeaway that he airballed with Russell Westbrook on him the previous possession. But other than that, he was great down the stretch. So they go to Towns. You mentioned the blow by by Steven Adams. And then it's the other way. It's who's going to get that shot. And there was not a second in my head that I, I did think anyone other than Westbrook was. And I tell you this, I'm sitting next to Matt Galloway, uh, works at the Speaker Capital Journal watching this game. And when Westbrook passes to Mello, we both had the same reaction. Matt's not that much of an NBA guy, but it was just like, uh, like, <laughs> oh, my God. And Mello hits the three, and I, I was in disbelief, as apparently the Thunder defense was too, because then obviously Wiggins gets the ball, sprints to the other end, banks in the three, and, and, and walks it off. But, I mean, who, who do you want generally taking the last shot? Obviously, whoever's open is a great option when you have three superstars. But, I mean, were you happy with Mello getting that shot? Obviously, he made it. Yeah, just just real quick, actually, I do want to say though, did you see uh, Towns like run like after the ball banked in? If you didn't see this, you have to go back and watch. I will because I did not. I didn't he, see. He's spr- he's like you know sprinting full speed after he sets the the screen, and you know which was like on the other side of half court, so like you know fifty feet. He is sprinting full speed, like hoping for an offensive rebound if it misses, and when it goes in, he like slams. He like hits the ball with his hand like straight down. And then turns around and runs back, and it's it just really – I can't really explain why it's so funny. But when you watch it live, it's pretty hilarious. Wow. But, but anyway, I, I'm, act, I'm totally fine with that play they ran. I, I would say of, of the three guys, I would probably be more comfortable with Carmelo just with Paul George's stri- you know, track record in, in, in the clutch the last couple of years. Obviously, Westbrook for me is number one almost any night except for nights when he's, like, really struggling. But, you know – Plays like that where you can, you know, play – you have all three guys involved where the defense has to guard all three instead of one guy, just whoever's open. I mean, that, that's a totally fine option. Timberwolves, too, on the other side. I mean, they're, they're another team that's going to have a lot of great options. And, two, once they, once they figure it out and, and like, Jeff Teague and, and Jimmy Butler have fully kind of engaged with everything and they're, they're running things, I guess – once it's all working for everyone, these are two teams that are going to be really fascinating. This might very well be your four or five series in the playoffs. Yeah, this might awesome. be a a two versus a six series if they can upset the three seed Minnesota because the Thunder are likely going to finish up top. I mean, I, th- this was an absolutely fantastic game, and 
I don't know. It's going to be it, – it's really cool that both these teams found themselves in a quote-unquote whose man's is this situation <laughs> just because it was, like, awesome. I don't know about you, but, like, for me watching it as a neutral observer, I have no real stake in this fight. The team I root for sucks. Um, it, it was really cool to just be like, who's getting the ball right now? Because I, I am – I just kind of – it's been awesome to see. There's been so much movement, whether it's Chris Paul, whether it's the Thunder and the Pacers making the trade, or Jimmy Butler or, or Kyrie Irving. There's been so much movement and reconfiguring in the NBA that I think it's been kind of awesome this season to just see, like, who is getting the last shot on each team. And I, I thought it was awesome that we got to see it between two teams having that same dilemma. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Timberwolves possess, you know, the, the Wiggins one was just kind of, you know, whatever they can get in four and a half seconds. But but then, I mean, the previous possession, it was kind of like a helter-skelter ball movement. You know, Townsend's up with it after after some ball movement. But I, I'm interested to see, you know, what kind of play, what kind of plays they draw up, you know, when it actually comes down to it, when they have it, you know, same situation, down, down a point with two, you know, five seconds left in the game. I'm, I'll be very curious if they're just going to kind of go with the hot hand. Seems like Wiggins was the guy they trusted the most tonight. And, you know, Jimmy Butler has been the guy so far that has, that has taken the back seat out of, their, out of their main three guys, which is, you know, fascinating to me and I know not something a lot of people expected. Yeah, well, that's why they gave up so little for him. They know he sucks. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I don't know what he finished with tonight, but he only had – I think he was only averaging like 13.5 points a game, obviously through two games, so very small sample size. But I think he had 14. But, yeah, he, he's clearly been – even his assist numbers, like I was thinking maybe he's just getting a lot more assists. He averaged like 5.5 assists last year, only three this year. So it looks like he needs like a LeBron James subtweet. You know, if you're not going to fit in, you're stop fitting out and start fitting in. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and from what I – I didn't watch the entire game tonight, but I watched a majority of it. And just from what I saw, like, he probably – of any of their starting five, I would say he probably ranked fourth. Like, if you counted, like, the amount of seconds he had the ball tonight, mm-hmm. he's probably fourth. I mean, because Jeff Teague was handling a lot off of, like, pick and rolls with he and Towns and doing pretty well with it. And obviously Towns had the ball his fair share. I mean, you know, Butler was, like, coming off curls, coming off screens you know, was shooting, catching shoots, but I mean, they really weren't running a lot for him to like be a ball handler, which I, you know, kind of interesting because that's what he likes to do. Yeah. And I wonder how well it's going to fly when he plays with other talented players. You know, Jimmy Butler kind of had this thing where, especially in second halves where he would just kill the ball and he would mm-hmm. dribble a lot. And, and I get granted, that's how he gets a lot of his offense, but I mean, the difference between a guy like him and a guy like Paul George, and this is why I said I would rather have Paul George than Jimmy Butler, is Paul George's effectiveness, you know, coming off screens and shooting. He's obviously a better three-point shooter, but that, that's kind of why I would want a guy like Paul George over Jimmy Butler, who might be a better defender than him. I, they're both great athletes. Jimmy Butler's probably a little bit of a better athlete. But yeah, well, well Paul, Paul George is a, is, is a beta who's built, you know, who's, whose game is geared towards playing that way, whereas Jimmy Butler is probably – you know, he should be your second star on like a championship team, but his game would suggest that, you know, he's a first, you know, first star. Totally agree. I, I don't think you could say it better there. Anything else to add before we get out of here? Because we have somehow gone over an hour despite not having one third of our podcast <laughs> in the studio. Uh, I think just real quick, I wanted to, to, we don't have to talk long about it. I just wanted to to say just how, how freaking unbelievable Giannis has been so far this season. I mean, he, Obviously, had the steal that led to his dunk the other night. I think that may have even just been last night to to beat Portland. He's averaging thirty eight points a game right now. 
He's the ninth player in NBA history to have 115 points through three games. Uh, Russell Westbrook did it last year. Steph Curry the year before. We know how both of those years ended for those guys. And uh, MVPs, obviously, I mean, if Giannis keeps playing like this, I mean, he's not going to be our dark horse candidate. He eventually will be the, the front runner. So I've only watched probably 20 minutes of Bucks basketball this year. Watched uh, the end of the game against Portland when Portland was up, I believe, and then the Bucks just kind of took a, took off with it. And then I watched a little bit of the Cleveland game before um, before it got out of hand. That being said, I'm first of all, this week is going to be a big watching Giannis week. I, I'm extremely excited for what he's become. I mean, he's rebounding the hell out of the ball right now. Obviously, we've seen with the ball in his hands, he can pass. He, he's a guy who gets steals and blocks. He puts up all the numbers. He's a 5 by 5 candidate anytime he sits on the floor. And you mentioned, I mean, the lowest point total he's got this year is 34. Um, he's absolutely a guy, you know, given the opportunity he's going to have on his team. He's not going to average 38 points a game, but he could average 30 points a game pretty legitimately, especially, I mean, he hasn't shot the three ball at all yet, uh, at all well yet, and I know that's not really his game. Mm -hmm. But if there's any improvement there, and he's even a 35, 33% three-point shooter, I'm not quite sure what he's shot the last two, you know, the last couple of years, but – I think he shot in the 20s or 10s. So right. and, if and he just gets a 30%, then yeah, he can be a 30-point-a-game scorer. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, you know, we, we've always assumed that the next step for him was, was going to be when he found a jump shot. Obviously, we're through, we're only, we've only been playing five days of, of NBA basketball here this season, three games. But he's taken that step so far without the three-point like he's only shot he's forget how many he's made he's only attempted six three-pointers this year like it's clearly something he still isn't comfortable then just in the limited times i've i've watched him so far this year like he's he's still passing up open shots it's just like he decided this year even more so than the past years like like these guys really can't keep me from getting to the rim and just extending my giant arm over them and dunking whenever i want to Averaging three more free throw attempts per game, seven more field goal attempts per game, but he's also making seven more. So he's shooting like 70% or 67% from the field right now, which is ridiculous. I have him, I got him fourth overall in a dynasty fantasy league draft. So it was our first draft. I couldn't, I would have taken him first overall. Somehow, I think Harden, um, LeBron went, who's 33, which I thought was a bad pick. And I think someone took Porzingis, which I, I like laughed. Oh, so Porzingis can win the scoring title this year. I, and he's fine, but Giannis was on the table, man. I don't know. Yeah. Don't think. But anyway, someone offered me a trade today. I wanted to get your thoughts on it, or the other day, because they offered me Nikola Jokic, who always starts slow, so that doesn't concern me, uh, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward would sit on my injured reserve for a year for Giannis straight up. Uh, no, I, I probably wouldn't do that. That's what I said. So then I was thinking, I said, I'll counter. Instead of giving me Gordon Hayward, how about Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Nikola Jokic, and your first pick in the draft next year? And I'll give you my last pick in the draft because you have to change pick for pick. Mm. And I was looking at that trade, and then I thought, there's no configuration of players on this roster that I'm giving up Giannis for. He could give yeah. me his entire team. I want Giannis for the next decade and a half. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, fantasy football and fantasy basketball, like it's always tough to give up the, the best player in a trade and especially like a dynasty league, like you're in, like, I mean, you have, you have a guy who could be, you know, like Kevin Durant said the other day, like he, he could be the best player of all time. Like he, I don't think he's going to be, that's not what I'm saying, but like he has that potential. 
He's 22. I've called him 23 multiple times on multiple platforms. He's only two years older than Devin Booker. I know, right? He's going to turn 23. He's a year younger than Devontae Graham. Uh, He's going to turn 23 in December. So obviously age, the next decade, he's going to be golden. And if he develops a jump shot sometime in there, he'll be great as he continues to age. Player efficiency rating this year is 44. I don't think he's going to get to DeAndre Liggins' uh, 127 that he posted one year and like one minute got a rebound. But Man, Giannis, Giannis is super fun to watch. I think that's a great high note to close it out on. Last thought on Giannis before we take it to the end. He's just incredible, man. Like, he, he's so fun to watch. And he's just, like, I don't know, it, it's just really, really fun to see, a, to see a guy like that so young. You know, I mean, because we obviously we have Embiid who, you know, can't stay healthy, but has shown flashes like that. But just, just to have a guy where it's like, okay, like, this is the next best player in the world. Like, you know, it's crazy. Like Kevin Durant or Steph Curry may never actually be the best player in the world because by the time LeBron's done being that, Giannis might already be ready to take that torch. Yeah, it it certainly is. I think Nick Wright was having that conversation about like passing the torch from player to player to player. Mm-hmm. And another guy like that, by the way, is Kobe. I mean, there's a very real possibility. Obviously, Kobe won an MVP, I believe. But when Kobe was in his prime, he was missing the playoffs. And that was kind of his time to take the torch before LeBron picked it up. And so he's another one who may go down as a top 15 all-time player who was maybe never for more than a year the best player in the league. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess you could you could probably make the argument that, like, Tim Duncan was the best player in the league yeah. around that time. Kevin Garnett. Just, yeah. It's, and, and, again, to do it for, for multiple periods, that's a fun that's a fun debate that will anger the Laker fans that listen to this for, <laughs> but for another time. Um, so – that's going to do it for us today. Um, be sure to follow the show on Twitter, triple OTP, triple spelled out, followed by the letters OTMP. Uh, you can search for us on iTunes. We're on the Google Play Store and through Anchor, so you can find us in all three of those places. Um, we do not discriminate iTunes versus Android, and we've never been on Google Play previously, so that's that's kind of nifty. Uh, we're both on Twitter. Evan is at Evan R. Riggs. I am at Chase and Scott. Credit, of course, to Tricky Diesel, who produced the music on today's and show. Mike, Mike is at NJ underscore Makey. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think that's correct. Um, <laughs> I wanted to get the old Lucid Vision music back. Um, the, the throwback to our first season. I might open that. I, I might find a way to, if I'm, if I'm up late enough tonight and just get totally delirious, I might find a way to mix that back in. <laughs> All right, so thanks so much for listening to Triple OT. We will see you next Sunday with a special guest. Uh, I won't spoil it, but his initials are one off, a very popular rapper. Okay, thanks for listening to Triple OT, and we will see you next week. Nas is a popular rapper, correct? Oh. Good one, guys. Then f***ing Victor Oladipo got fouled on a three-pointer. The next <laughs> possession. And it was not We need wrong. this rigged. <laughs>